I didn't see you there. Something big is going on here. From hunting ghosts to Bigfoot, paranormal, UFOs, true crime, and more. We won't just be spouting articles. I was researching for your entertainment. The beginning of a new world. The best fuck you'll ever fucking eat. True story. It's basically like one day you walk outside and you see that the ants are playing with matches. This, this is, is the, the Black, Black Cat, Cat Report. Report. See you on the other side. Before we start today's show, I'd like to give you a heads up that the story we're about to tell contains, among other things, accounts and descriptions of child abuse, sexual assault, suicide, miscarriages, cannibalism, and murder. While it's difficult to feel sympathy for a monster, and, if anything, I often find myself rallying against it, standing on the side of Look how many people had these same things happen to them and didn't turn out vile. And while I still feel this is true, and my priority for expressing sympathy will always rest with the victims, I cannot look to the case of serial killer Leonardo Cinicoli and ignore the very clear line of sight between her despicable actions, her childhood, and her parents' childhood, and still claim the flavor of her insanity was merely her own. If anything, it brings me to a long-standing view I've done my best to live by. That is, the world and the decisions we make in it are gray. Rarely do we have the privilege of true good versus evil, true black and white. Does this same understanding carry over into the absolutely terrible deeds Leonardo will commit? No. Will this challenge what was an acceptable response along the way? For me, yes. As we'll soon see, and what I hope will be apparent, a long line of pain and suffering will manifest itself in the form of abusive behavior and deep paranoia. It will force fate to drink a spiked brew of mysticism laced with poisonous roots of fear. This week, we are covering the cannibal serial killer, soap maker, and overly paranoid parent, Leonardo Cinicoli. And we are the Black Cat Report. Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 20. Pew, pew, pew. Somebody else make noises. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> um, welcome to episode 20 of the Black Cat Report. My name is Gil, and joined today with me is the incredible, the impeccable, the awesome crew of folks, Selena. Hi. <laughs> Betsy. <laughs> Hola. <laughs> and Joey. Hello. <laughs> we are recording late. We are recording for you. <laughs> Ciao. Ciao. <laughs> no, wait. <laughs> Ciao. Ciao's bye. This week. True. <laughs> This week, we are going to Italy. We are getting Italian, um, at least the closest thing I can get to it. Um, and, um, yeah, and we're about to dig into a very interesting case, a case of a, well, like I said, a soap-making cannibal and overly protective parent. What could be totally a better normal. mix? <laughs> yeah, totally normal. Well, um, yeah, so let's, let's kick this thing off now. To understand the motivations behind Leonardo, we must first understand her childhood. And to understand that, we need a little backstory about her parents. 
As I okay, said so in the is, intro, is it's not girl? Leonardo. Yeah. Oh, I thought you said Leonardo. I'm like, what? Nope, nope. Leonardo. Okay. I just have terrible pronunciation, but yeah. Well, now to understand the motivations behind Leonardo, we must first understand her childhood. And to understand that, we need a little backstory about her parents. As I said in the intro, it's not often that there is a clear line that can be drawn from moments to motivations, but in the case of Leonardo Cinicali, it tracks. Born in the late 1800s in Montella, um, which is basically a region in Italy, Emilia de Nofili, I don't know how to pronounce that. <laughs> Emilia de Nofili was... De Nofi. De Nofi? Okay. Amelia de Nofi was of royal blood, literally a noble, um, with as much wealth and privilege as one would imagine when we speak of royalty. She was as foreign to a hard day's work as she was to financial hardship, and of course, the genetic lottery she won included beauty as well. As was, and is, the tradition in many places, choosing who you get to get married to is actually pretty rare. Your parents, politics, and placement in society are the deciding parties planning who you'll love. This was the case for Amelia, whose parents were hard at work finding and picking through suitors while she was quickly growing to become a young woman. Still, in the meantime, she had quite a bit of freedom, going to parties and gatherings with her upper-class friends from all around the area. Life was flowing along as it was supposed to be, or at least planned to be, until one night in 1893. Amelia, stumbling along in the dark on her way home from a dinner party, was hit violently in the back and then dragged into nearby bushes, beaten and raped. After the initial shock subsided, Amelia managed to make her way home, clean up, and do her best to cover up her bruises. Burdened by Catholic guilt, she didn't say a word to anyone about what happened, never calling out her rapist, Mariano, who, though from a much lower social class, she was vaguely familiar with. This terrible situation would have been left as a hidden scar in Amelia's life had it not been for the fact that within a few months, her stomach began to grow. Once her pregnancy was realized by her parents, to say they were mad would be an understatement. They placed blame firmly on Amelia, even after knowing she had been raped. They forced her to give over the name of who had done it, and in some messed up sense of religious justice, would ultimately make her marry her rapist, Mariano Canachilli. Oh <laughs> what in the world? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's, it, it's they bad. Said that she, they said that she had brought... Um, dishonor onto the family so they married her to a lower class man and completely abandoned her like she had none of the money none of the nobility anymore she was just stripped of all of it yeah she, wow. she gotta hate completely like it's mm -hmm. it's it's just the whole like um it's the whole obsession with like the sanctity of life around like a, especially a situation around like rape where it's just it's so institutionalized 
And like, it was such a status that even if the family did disagree, they were in such a, a place of nobility and status that it would have looked too bad if she didn't keep the baby. So they were like, basically just get the hell out of here. You're out of the family now. Um, unsurprisingly, Amelia was heartbroken and um, Mariano, a drunk piece of shit, was happy as hell. This all led up to Amelia being disowned by the, by the Dinolfi family and then completely kicked out of the royal household. She was forced to start a life with Mariano, who proceeded to beat and rape her repeatedly over the course of their marriage. This, in a nutshell, yeah, he was a piece of shit from the get-go. Um, well, this, in a nutshell, was the world that Leonardo Cinecoli was born into. She was the baby her mom tried to hide after being brutally raped. She was the baby that her family disowned her mother oh over. God. She was the baby that all of the wrongs committed against her mom pointed to as a reason for why her mom should feel guilt. That is the subject of our today's show. That person, right? That baby born of the situation. Um, and these... They basically created a monster. <laughs> yeah, yeah, more or less. And, and uh, Amelia's uh, reaction um, to the baby did not help at all. Um, so yeah, all of these were the types of ideas Amelia would pound and literally beat into Leonardo's head over and over again during her childhood to the point where she would say she was lucky when she was just ignored and neglected as a child. To, to really understand how bad this was, it's so important to note that Leonardo would first attempt suicide by hanging herself at age 13, and then again by swallowing glass a few years later. Her mom's only response to this was to tell her how disappointed she was that she failed. This is th this is her childhood, okay? <clears throat> well, it would have been around this time, uh, around her second suicide attempt, that her father Mariano didn't make it home one night, and this. Uh, he was hardly more of an apparition in Leonardo's life. Mariano was a drunk. He rarely, if ever, was around the house. But still, to not even come home was out of place for him. After some searching around town, Emiliano and Leonardo finally found Mariano passed out drunk, unable to be woken, yet still barely alive. They carried him home, where Emilia would leave him in an isolated room, alone, and ignored until finally he died. She straight up neglected him to death in a room, which can't really blame her for. <laughs> you know, like, eh. No, uh, I would have done the same thing. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, this was a double-edged sword for the family. While happy her rapist husband was dead, the family now faced financial troubles, or at least they did for a while. Not long after Mariano's death, a new man would take up uh, Amelia's arm and her attention, leaving Leonardo ignored in all the right ways, though this time was actually fairly brief. It quickly became apparent that the new husband didn't quite make enough money to keep the family afloat, leaving Leonardo in the crosshairs of her mom once again, but this time 
Her mom didn't want to simply abuse her, but her mom wanted to use her to marry up into society, into the society that she had been kicked out from. Amelia began scheming and setting up meetings with people all over town, trying to find the perfect man to force Leonardo to marry. This didn't last long, though. You see, while Amelia was frequenting social gatherings all over the place, Leonardo was going out and finding dates of her own. Eventually, accepting the marriage proposal of a man named Rafael Pansardi. Needless to say, when she broke the news to her mom, her mom was absolutely pissed. And while screaming and threatening her, she finally yelled out that she was, quote, placing a curse on Leonardo and Rafael for ruining her life. This is important. Why, was he not rich? No, he was a... he was a um, a bookkeeper, basically. He was a simple like bookie that just lived in town. He was a nice guy. Um, yeah. Um, when he was after a lifetime of verbal and physical abuse, being told how worthless she was, how much of a fuck up she was, that everything was ruined because of her, it is no surprise that when she did find warm embrace, Leonardo wasn't able to accept it. By all accounts, Raphael tried his best to treat her right, loving her through very intense hardship, most of which, in the early days of their marriage, came directly from Leonardo's constant fears and low self-esteem. This all leads us to a turning point, a prediction that will set paranoia firmly in Leonardo's mind. Holding her palm, a voice spoke, quote, You're going to live a long life full of sadness you're going to outlive every one of your children, end quote. This was the first of many prophetic fortunes told to Leonardo by traveling Romani after she had went to them to hear about her future. Still, these fears were no match for the power of time and routines, which eventually helped to wash away the fortune, leaving it a footnote and a terrible memory. Everything finally became balanced until three years into their marriage in 1920 when Leonardo became pregnant. Those words, spoken by the fortune teller, began to haunt her, echoing throughout her head every single day that she was pregnant. The fear spiraled and brought with it an intense increase in seizures, something she hadn't experienced since she was a kid. All this led to the day she was lying in bed, taken by pain and bleeding, soon to find out she had had a miscarriage. Blaming this on her mom's curse, Leonarda and Raphael moved to Raphael's hometown of Loria Potenza. They settled in here. Things got back to normal. They even started to get pretty great by all standards. Thanks to his and his family's connections, Raphael was able to find a pretty good job. Not enough to be rich, but enough to make it. People liked them, and they started to develop a social life, free from the hatred of Leonardo's mother. You see, in the past town, they really started to worry that all the work that Amelia had put into social gatherings and trying to marry off her daughter, well, when her mom cursed them, she also may have went through and basically poisoned the social scene 
for Amelia or for um, uh, Leonardo and Raphael. Like they couldn't find jobs. They were having difficulty moving up. Everybody seemed to kind of give them the evil eye, if that makes sense. Well, with all that said, uh, new town, new life, new connections. And in 1922, Giuseppe Panzardi was born, their first child. Leonardo becomes obsessed with him. She's she's immediately just hyper protective, overprotective, smothering him completely. She had already been living in this torturous situation with her mom, right? Um, she has been driven by a curse. She already had a terrible miscarriage, and now finally she has a baby. Now finally she has the the family that she's always been wanting, and to boot that 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 situation what that what the Romani lady had told her um is just now echoing in her head every single day she's thinking i'm going to outlive my son well with another mouth to feed rafael's paycheck which had been just enough to get by wasn't cutting it anymore and leonardo had to seek work the long hours she would spend separated from Giuseppe would lead her into paranoia and nervousness. This would all start kicking in, which again would increase the amount of seizures she would have. In combination with her wanting even more children, this led to even more miscarriages over the next year or so. And regardless of this, though, Raphael and Leonardo kept trying and eventually were successful, not once, but three times in a row. A girl a boy, and another girl. In total, they now had four kids. <laughs> True. Um, well, <clears throat> all of this was absolutely great until their oldest daughter, still very young, still hasn't even started crawling, began to develop a cough. And while at first it was no big deal, you know, infants sometimes do this, Alarm would soon be raised as this cough began spreading to the other three youngest children. It ended up um, just becoming, <laughs> yeah, right? It, well, it ended up becoming severe. It, it went from a hiccup to a cough to repeated coughs to constant coughing. And this family, already kind of stressed financially, could not afford to take their children to the doctor. It turns out fluid was building up in their lungs, and with no money to afford a doctor, Raphael and Leonardo would soon be in the position of staying awake all night, every night, holding and caring for their babies, doing the best they could to keep them from choking to death on their own fluid. Panicked and in need of work just to afford medical expenses for the children, Leonardo tried to get a job, but by the time she did, a rash began spreading all over their youngest boy. By the next day, he was dead in his crib. The same scenario quickly played out with the other two daughters, and in short order, took both of their lives too. With three children all dying in such a short period of time, Leonardo began regularly experiencing intense seizures while understandably slipping into madness, depression, ripping her hair out, screaming for her children. She was literally wailing for her babies at night. 
and and to be fully honest, who the hell wouldn't have had a complete mental breakdown at this point? Like you just had within a couple weeks, your three infants die. Like who would not be having a breakdown? I mean, like her whole life yeah. is a breakdown. <laughs> no, and it's it's totally on point. But I I'm just I'm just like you know you can't read this at least I can't read this without I can't read this without like looking at it as like dude you you've been abused your whole damn life told you were nothing then you find somebody who loves you try to start a family and over and over again you keep having painful miscarriages and then you finally manage to have children and three of the four of them die within the first few years like holy shit (laughs) life is slapping them so hard you know yeah well (laughs) understandably in my opinion this leads to her becoming even more obsessed and protective over giuseppe and she was living in constant fear of something happening to him. I mean, from her perspective, and kind of rightfully so, um, the fortune teller, totally right. The curse, totally accurate. Everything's lining up. She's had multiple miscarriages. A bunch of her children have died, right? And it's like, why wouldn't she believe that this curse is real? Why wouldn't she believe that the fortunes were true? You know? Well, yeah, I mean, she she really has, like, the fortune teller really has a, a good guess. I mean, I guess it was 50-50. She could have been like, yeah, hey, they're all going to die, because probably at this time they were just probably going to, most kids probably did die. Even Even at this time, the amount of children that she would lose, um, which you guys will hear a number at some point, and it... The amount of children she would lose would be a lot, even during, like, the bubonic plague. Like, it's, like, a lot of children that she loses. Mm -hmm. And it's, she is trying her damnedest to go against the fortunes. That's all I'm saying. Like, it, at a point, it's, like, at least for me, at a point, I'm, like, damn, was she cursed? Like, (laughs) I don't know about Selena, but, like, for me, I was, like, shit, that's a lot. Yeah. Yeah, it was a lot. Um, but yeah, so, well, it was around this time um, that, uh, you know, again, after losing these three children in subsequent order, like super fast, she began working at a bank. Um, she was a cleaner, late evening. She barely got paid anything. The family was struggling. Um, this is also around the time that, that in the book um, that we're referencing here, um, she... Uh, she began to have nightmares about seeing white coffins in her dreams. Like, it, it, the, the amount of miscarriages and deaths in her family, she was literally having nightmares of small white coffins. It, it just kept haunting her. And she's working late evenings at the bank, and this bank pays her so little, and they're so stingy, that they force her to bring her own cleaning supplies. And with that said, she learns how to make soap. Ding, ding, ding that comes up later um well one of these evenings desperate for money the family suffering she sneaks over to a ledger that's on the table and very carefully while she's cleaning alone in the bank 
starts to write down some information that, let's just say, would help her financially <laughs> in the bank's ledger. Um, the next morning, she goes in, and basically, the, the police are already waiting for her. They, she got caught immediately. The bank was completely on top of it. Uh, she gets sentenced for fraud, and while she's sentenced to 18 months um, in essentially their equivalent at the time of a woman's prison, because they didn't really know how to handle women's prisons. Um, she gets sentenced to 18 months at uh, a very hardcore nunnery where she has to work for a bunch of very angry nuns. Um, <laughs> fun fact here, she thrives. Like, as hard as the nuns are trying to, like, get her to, you know, clean this with a toothbrush with only one bristle kind of like punishment and stuff she is just kicking ass like after the childhood of like abuse that she had where she got so good at doing what she was supposed to in an abusive environment and being seen or not being seen not being heard but still meeting all the things on the checklist she actually did really well when butted up against a bunch of abusive nuns like so she kind of went in there and thrived uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I imagine that was like heaven to her, though, because like she's not getting, you know, like, I mean, maybe the nuns are abusing her a bit, but like she probably had a nice bed and like a nice place to stay. So it's like she probably loved it. She's like, oh, I don't have to worry about my family right yeah, now. This like is there's nice. the, there isn't even the idea of somebody caring about me here. Um, I have my family on the outside. I can live on whatever letter came in last about how Giuseppe is doing, you know. Um, and, um, yeah, I'm good at uh, stress cleaning everything all the time and nobody's seeing me. So she, she did great. Like, she, she became a boss real quick, right? Well, when she gets out, um, she comes to discover naturally that in the town they were in, um, their reputation was completely ruined, right? So strings had been pulled to get her in that bank. This is in Rafael's like hometown. And all of a sudden your wife is trying to cheat over the bank in this small town. Like people are pissed, right? Every, they, they can't get jobs. They have nowhere to go. This all leads to them moving to another town, a, a smaller town, right? Well, and and there's a lot of movement. There's a lot of pregnancies. Please just stick with me if I'm not getting super detailed on all of them because it, it, it's excessive. Okay. So anyways, they moved to another town, a smaller town. Um, and actually, in this smaller town, life is good. It's another small countryside town. Um, it, it's more of an agrarian type of lifestyle. People are harvesting wheat in the fields. It's 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 much uh it's as disconnected as you can be from like a city life, right? It's a bunch of farmers living communally, doing their thing. And to give you an idea of like how old school, how awesome it was when they were a bunch of agrarian folks doing their thing, that year that they moved there, there was a harvest festival. The fields got cleared, everybody was just super, super happy to be done with a long season. Uh, of labor and work and they were dancing and they were drinking out in the fields and like having just a giant celebration of like you know the season's work is done we can relax through the winter right so you have everybody out in the community all just having a fucking damn good time 
well, everybody's out there dancing. Kids are running around. They're playing. There's small little bonfires going on everywhere. I'm assuming it's Italy. Probably a lot of really great wine. Everybody's drunk. Okay. Well, <laughs> everybody falls asleep out <laughs> in the fields on the, on the harvest night, the night of the, the celebration, right? Everybody just fucking awesome, balls to the wall, party with their family, and they just all lay down in these chop fields, fall asleep. Life is great, right? That night, luckily, um, a massive earthquake comes through and completely destroys the entire town. Like, every every major structure in the town is just turned to rubble. There would have been, like, two to three to four times as many deaths if the Harvest Festival hadn't have been happening and people were in their houses. Like, there were hundreds, if not up to a thousand, like, deaths in a small town. But luckily, people were drunk and fell asleep in a field. Right? So, hmm. for... Can I can I can I say this and and picturing in yeah, my yeah. mind? Sorry, no, 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 sorry, go away. And picturing in my mind, I just imagine them them two walking down the street at night, and they just are getting into town in the harvest festival night, and they're like, "Hey, everybody! <laughs> hey, nice to see you. Nice to be here. Nice to everything." And then right behind them, there's just like a crack coming through <laughs> the ground, fissuring out behind them into the town, destroying every building. Low key, I don't, Selena. Do you? Want to back me up on this? We we read the same the same sources on this. Like, it kind of feels that way. It's like they get like a couple months of chill time, and then everything goes to shit every time. Yeah, that's pretty much how her life goes. It's it's rough. Like it's it's really it challenges me. Again, I gave that heavy disclaimer at the beginning where I'm like, look, y'all. Sometimes monsters get made. That's all I'm gonna say. It's like, eh, yeah, you know, it it challenges, but, but that fissure, that crack, you know, opening up in the sidewalk, cause they're like, howdy, you know, like low key. I mean, I think they're here for like less than a year. They're starting to get popular. They're starting to make friends for once. Leonardo is like actually kind of like letting her hair down. You know, she just got out of basically nun jail. (laughs) you know like she just got out (laughs) and people love her people like her they're dancing in the field it it, you know it feels the way it was described in in our in our main source like it was like you know a day or two after their their wedding night you know like spirits were so high right and then this shit happens so the town's completely destroyed um so then they move uh to a new town <laughs> right um once they move to this new town it it's nice because they come in it the town is the the kind of the final town it's uh Corre- Correggio. Correggio. thank you um so they moved to Correggio, and this town hearing about the earthquake and you know a local town it like they open they just basically open the doors to everybody coming in. They're like, hey, we heard about the earthquake. This is terrible. Please come in. We want to give you everything. We want to be supportive neighbors, as, as it should be in the world, right? Well, the the family, the Ginnacooli, uh family, or her family, they settle into a small apartment attached to a closed uh, 
general store or a closed department store. And after a little bit of time, uh, it turns out that Leonardo and like and uh, Raphael, like they're actually really awesome. They're really social. Like people in town love them. They love to hear the tales. They love to hear about this. They love to hear about that. And they start to become like super, super popular in town. And it finally, you know, Leonardo, she has friends, she has self-confidence and they convince her, they're like, hey, you're really great at making soap. You're really personable. You should just take over this abandoned um, general store and start selling your soap out of it. Like, this is what you should do. Like, you should, you should, you should be, you should own a business here. Well, Leonardo picks up on that and she's, she's super excited to do it. She's obviously, after working for nuns for years, very good at cleaning. Uh, and she opens up uh, this general store and she opens up uh, a soap shop and it starts to pick up steam. People from all over start to hear about her soaps, right? It, she's really damn good at it, basically. Well, <clears throat> this is what leads us to her next point. Again, they find a little bit of happiness for a while. Things start to look up. And then we get this. In one hand, I can see prison. In the other, an insane asylum. These were the words spoken to her by a fortune teller shortly after the deaths of her three children and after their movement to, uh, to this new town. This drove her even deeper into fear and paranoia. And if that wasn't enough, the curse was as strong as ever. Leonardo would go on to have five more children, carrying them all the way to term before they would die suddenly, before they even reached the age that they could walk or crawl. In her mind, this was obviously her mother's curse, hard at work trying to ruin any and all hopes she would have at a happy stability in her life. And to be honest, it's it's hard to outline how many times she became pregnant, which I, I don't know how to put this, the, the pregnancies to birth or like, you know, that she actually carried a full term or the miscarriages. It's just like, there's so many in this story and they happen at so many different times. Just believe me when I say it's a lot. Like in, in total, she was pregnant at least 17 times over the course of 12 to 15 years. Jeez. That's so much. Jeez. <laughs> like, yeah, that's a lot. I, I don't know. For me, that's just like mind-blowing. I don't even have the parts for that, and I'm freaked out looking at this number. <laughs> Do any of the folks with XY on this podcast, XY chromosomes, want to clue in on this? Is 17 a lot for 12 to 15 years? <laughs> um... Um, I mean, I, I feel like so. it was normal back in the day, but I mean, obviously I wouldn't do it. <laughs> yeah. Is that, is that our final statement? 17 times in 12 to 15 years? Um, I think that's excessive. I mean, that's like twice a year. It's like one point something a year. Yeah. I feel like, I mean, that's a lot but I feel like that was normal back in the but day. And like Imagine being pregnant for 15 years and only having like a few months in between where you're not pregnant. That's crazy. 
Yeah, I mean, like, right now, that would suck. Like, right now, like, I don't think anyone should do that. But back then, that's all. That was, like, the job of women, basically, to have a bunch of kids. So I feel like it was normal, but it seems like she was obsessed with it. Um. Yeah, I mean, I, I yeah, just thinking about it, like, that's that, that life no. is not for me. <laughs> but, like, we have to own up to the fact that, like, 17 times and like only having um five or six actual births is like a lot like she was miscarrying like constantly like that's i don't know yeah and i feel like that's why she kept having miscarriages because she kept trying and her body was basically like can we not do this anymore and she kept doing <laughs> yeah. it you know and she she was completely obsessed with like having the baby and like the fear and the fortunes and everything like you know as the family was trying to save money make money for the children um she was having seizures at work constantly like worried she was falling off stuff at work yeah like her body was telling her like please stop doing this like we are not gonna do this and she just kept pushing her body to do it and like you know like it's just i don't know like i feel like uh it was like insanity you know like trying to do the same thing and expect a different result and it was obvious it wasn't gonna be a different result what do you think, Selena? Yeah. Word. I think, yeah. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> she needed like some counseling, yes. some therapy, yes. some healing. Yeah, you know, she, she did. needed to take time for herself mm-hmm. and just find her own journey. But back then, that Truth. wasn't like a Truth. thing. <laughs> well, well. Regardless of whether it's the desired outcome, you know, you're pushing your body too hard, or it's just the reality of the situation, these numbers are excessive. And, and I would say, like, this was an absolute nightmare for her. I, I think we can all admit that. Like, this was a goddamn nightmare. Um, and that, uh, charged by fear, led her to decide to do her best to defend her family. This is a tipping point here. And so Leonardo began digging into anything and everything relating to the occult. She wanted to know how to how to build charms, how to cast spells, how to clear away any and all negative energy to protect her loved ones. Her studies would would quite literally consume her over the next few years where this family that she she's so obsessed over she now just kind of made sure that the house was clean they were fed and then she just ran off to do her own thing to study how to protect her family and in the town they would finally settle down in she'd become known for this while she was running this little general store and she was selling these homemade soaps people started to go to her they they started to ask like hey what's my fortune can you look in the crystal ball can you look at my palm can you look at this um she she actually had a lot of really awesome like social skills in that sense like and people respected and they loved her for for her hobbies and for her interest and what she was good at in this town and so folks would come in on a regular basis 
and you know they would buy their soap they would buy their cleaning supplies their whatever and then they would ask for their fortune they would ask for what does my love life look like uh is my partner cheating on me um how is my son doing who's so far away you know things things that people want to know about right and so what in their finally stable life brought things to a head right that they finally found a, a little nugget of stability they at least had one or two or three children <laughs> that survived which at this point there had been 17 attempts at having kids um, and they finally got a couple that are alive Giuseppe being the oldest doing all right well the tipping point is when her son the one she cherished the most, Giuseppe, enlisted to fight in World War II. Ciao, Bella. Thank you for listening to the Black Cat Report in our episode on La Saponificatrice de Correggio, a.k.a. the soap maker of Correggio. This is our 20th episode. Ah! Please feel free to message us on Instagram and contact at blackcat.report with story ideas or what you'd like to see in our merch store. Now, let's get to the murders. Take it away, Betsabe. When she heard the news of her elder son, her miracle child, was enlisting in the war, she snapped. Through her obsession with the occult and its various rituals, she somehow settled upon the law of equivalent exchange. It's a simple concept. Something cannot be created from nothing, and so in order to obtain something, something else of equal value must be lost. She would need to sacrifice a life to spare Giuseppe's, and she would do anything to ensure the safe return of her beloved son. Wow. Okay, that's fucked up, but I totally so, get yeah, it. Like, like as a mom, like right, like basically, like shit has been so fucked up, and Giuseppe is like her her golden child. That like at this point, it's like God damn it. So like this is uh, what what are we at? Like twenty years ish, less than twenty years after the end of World War One, where it was a meat grinder. Like World War One was. <laughs> <laughs> terrible it was the first time in history where we referred to a war as a world war it it wasn't even known as world war one it was just the world war everything in the world was on fire it sucked it burned everybody died um and now her son's like i'm gonna go enlist after her main motivation in life <laughs> her obsession has been yeah. keeping her family safe and now her one golden child's like deuces mom i'm gonna go fight on the front lines and she's like god damn <laughs> i know? think it's just basically like um, okay bye i'm gonna go die even though you've been trying to take care of me forever i'm just gonna go put myself there you know right and so so from her angle it's like like she has no concept what of what world war ii is gonna be like which spoiler alert um, <laughs> almost a hundred year old spoiler alert. Uh, it sucked also. Um, and, um, yeah, so, so she's just like, shit, my son's getting involved in this. It's too late for me to stop him, you know? Yeah. Um, what do I do? And so she falls back on mysticism. She falls back on fucking like the occult. 
yeah yeah no that's totally messed up um yeah i can i can see why she's doing what she's doing so um yeah as luck will have it she had become acquainted with an elderly local named faustina seti who had no close family or children she viewed Leonarda as a friend and had confided in her that she was afraid she would never find love. This was something Leonarda knew she could use to her advantage. She invited Faustina over one day and told her she had found her a husband. Leonarda instructed Faustina to write letters to her family about her new life and the excitement she felt so they wouldn't interfere. As a thank you, Faustina gave her life savings to Leonarda on the day she was set to meet her new husband and start her new life. Faustina stopped by Leonarda's house. They were alone when Faustina told Leonarda how nervous she was. Leonarda offered her some wine. The poison kicked in immediately. Faustina couldn't speak or move, but could see her dear friend returning from the back room with an axe. <laughs> Oh, Lord. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this escalates okay. really quick. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's like, come on. <laughs> I'll spare you the more gory details, but Fasina did not die quickly or painlessly. <laughs> Leonarda frantically hacked away at her victim. There wasn't much left of Fasina's upper body. <laughs> Leonardo quickly started the process of cleaning up and rendering the fat for soap and baking the blood to put her tea cakes. Oh my god. I can just imagine somebody coming into her shop and be like, Oh, I love the scent of these candles. I love the scent of these soaps. Oh, they're beautiful. It smells familiar, though. It used to smell like this old guy I used to know. I used to date. Oh, my God. Uh, They're just like a part of Faustina, like, just, like, literally still hanging. And Leonardo's had, like, hair. You know, like... Jeez. All right, so so Selena wrote this portion of the script. um, And she wanted to skip over the gory details. I'm just going to tell you... um, when Leonardo, her her first murder, um, love you, babe, if you hear this, um, Leonardo, her first murder, she she comes back, she so she poisons the person with a glass of wine. They go completely like numb everywhere. They go, they become paralyzed, and they're just sitting in the chair, but they're completely conscious. They can see what's going on. They're still breathing. Leonardo comes up. <clears throat> she has an axe in her hand, and like. Boom, like goes in for that kill blow. Problem is, she's not uh, exactly trained um, or experienced in killing people. She completely misses Faustina's head and just slams into like her her solar plexus. She she completely misses the head and just hits like the uh, the shoulder region. With a goddamn axe. And so this person's in the chair in front of her, gasping for their life, but paralyzed. And then just... And then... And then uh, Leonardo continues to just, like, try to beat, literally, the life out of Faustina, like, over and over and over again until finally killing them. 
Um, fun fact, that sprays blood everywhere. Right? <laughs> like, that. that is yeah. not clean. There's nothing clean about that murder. So... <laughs> It's really and bad. How, it's really, really bad. And what's that? And how do you clean up a lot of blood and a lot of stuff? Soap. With, with the soaps. Yeah. And then, <laughs> yeah. And then she immediately jumps into being like, okay, my general store is filled with body parts, hair, blood everywhere. Um, I'm going to turn this body into... Soap and tea cakes. She's just <laughs> that's, that's her next her next move. <laughs> yes, yeah. she's no, the I... OG of recycle. <laughs> yeah, she is up cycling this shit. But like <laughs> not to make fun of the victim, because it's like a very fucking horrible and very sad. This terrible. But like <laughs> there there is a weird transition here of like I'm murdering somebody for the first time. And I already have a process for what to do with them. And that's scary. Yeah. I don't know. To me, that's like horrifying. That's like, yeah. that's the kind of fear that lives in the back of your head where it's like anybody I know could already be planning for what to do with my body while I'm talking and laughing to their face. Like, that's this kind of story. Mm-hmm. Where it's like, that's horrifying to me. It's just like, damn shit, do I really know you? You know, like, it's... It's scary, you know? Like, up until no, literally 24 is. hours before, 40 hours before, this lady was just like, hey, how are you doing? Do you want to go get coffee? You know, everything was cool. But in reality, back yeah. of, uh, you know, her mind, it was like, I know what I'm doing with your bones. I know what I'm doing with your skin, with your flesh, with your blood. Like, it's holy shit, dude. <laughs> it's horrifying. I don't know. Anyways. No, it definitely makes you think about who you hang out with. <laughs> uh-huh. Yeah, so, like, the fat ended up being useless. The bloody tea cakes were the only thing she could use. In her mind, this meant she had to kill again. Of course, yeah, you know? She Gotta need- try she again. She needed the soap. Yeah. Mm-hmm. After all of that horror, Leonardo decided she needed a more valuable victim. Faustina was old and unhappy, not like Giuseppe. The next victim had to be younger and more vital. Our next victim was a young woman named Francesca Savi. Francesca was widow and had left her job as a school teacher to take care of her ailing husband. As many others did, she looked to Leonarda for help. Leonarda made up a girl's school a distance away, telling Francesca she could pull some strings for her and get her hired. This was great news to a woman who was about to be destitute. Again, on the day she was set to leave, she stopped by Leonarda's house to thank her one more time. Once again, she took the wine that was given and the poison kicked in immediately. This time, the effects were stronger and she felt no fear and was apathetic. By some act of mercy, the first time the axe came down was enough to kill her. Yay! Since her body was so young... (laughs) 
We are so desensitized, like, hearing about this shit that it's like, oh, the first time the axe came down, it was enough to kill her. Yay! Like, this is so terrible. (laughs) It's really bad. I mean, because she didn't suffer, you know? No, no, no. But, like, I'm I'm saying this because I agree because it's like, damn, good. (laughs) Like, I'm glad. I'm glad this victim felt the least amount of pain and and, and Mm -hmm. terrible anticipation. Like that's exactly it's bad, <laughs> you know, I don't know. But but yeah, sorry. I just had to jump in with like, damn, we're desensitized. Um, sorry. Yeah, no, I mean, it's true. <laughs> um, since her body was so young, the fat looked promising for soap. But yet again, it turned into a foul smelling sludge. All that came away from it was more blood for her tea cakes. <laughs> She made sure to feed them to her son. Come on. Oh. No. So I guess Giuseppe's a vampire now too. Uh. <laughs> Giuseppe's yeah. just trying out here. I don't I don't blame that boy. <laughs> Giuseppe's yeah. trying. She yet again found herself in the position of looking for another sacrifice. Her third and final victim was her best friend and also the closest thing Correggio had to a celebrity. Her name was Virginia Cacciopo. She was an ex-opera singer and a rich widow. She was beautiful and popular but had grown tired of small town life and wanted to move back to the city. She looked to Leonardo for guidance. Leonardo was known to have connections so making something up to keep her friend around for a while was not a big deal she needed a little more time to prepare so she made up a secretarial job that somehow related to the opera leonarda ensured her friend she could get her the job and had her write the usual letters to family the morning of the murder virginia stopped by leonarda's house leonarda would not let her refuse the wine once it was drunk, the poison kicked in. Leonarda waved the axe above her head and struck down on her chest. Virginia convulsed but then succumbed to her injuries. And I quote, Her flesh was fat and white. When it had melted, I added a bottle of cologne and after a long time on the boil, I was able to make some most acceptable creamy soap. I gave bars to neighbors and acquaintances. The cakes too were better. That woman was really sweet. The success of this sacrifice meant her son was finally safe, but unlike her other victims, Virginia had a family. That's disgusting. Uh, I'm not gonna lie, like, when I started reading into the initial like interactions with victims like even with Slivko right like I didn't come across lines where I like I dry heaved like at 7 o'clock this morning alright 7 o'clock on November 10th 2022 7am I was dry heaving while I was sipping my coffee reading over some of this like I straight up I got up I threw my chair I went over to the sink 
in my kitchen and I was like, I was so close to throwing up. At least two to three cats were staring at me, ears back, <laughs> eyes cocked. What the fuck is going on right now? And I'm like, <laughs> like the fact that she moves so quick from just being like, oh, I don't really want to do this. I love my family to murder, murder, murder. And just like, I'm going to make soap. I'm going to make tea cakes. I'm glad tea cakes have fallen out of fashion. Honestly, after reading her shit, <laughs> I'm glad I've never seen a tea cake. I don't know what the fuck a tea cake is. And you know what? If it's her fault, I'm okay with that. I'm okay that this tradition has ended with her. Because whatever the fuck a tea cake was, it was easy to hide human flesh in. And that's not cool. Okay? So, like, I'm just gonna say, like, she just moved... Like, Selena didn't include it here. This lady literally took blood, collected it in a tray by her second murder. She was real quick with it. Second murder collecting it in like a bin a tray and then mix that shit with flour put that shit in the oven and basically made blood flour and then proceeded like, to bake why, shit though? like why <laughs> i'm like i'm sitting over here and i'm just like and then she's just like hey you want a small cake with you whatever the fucks and the person's like, thank you for this cracker-looking thing, which for whatever reason I picture a tea cake as. I picture a tea cake as, like, a small cracker. I'm probably wrong. But I'm not going to Google it. I'm, I'm horrified by the idea of them now. Um, but, like, I picture a small cracker, and they're like, thank you. And it's just like, like, something. My gag reflex is heightened with this. I can't help it. Slivko gave me nightmares. Um... Uh, 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 Leonardo makes me throw up. That's all I can say. That, that's all I got. I imagine that she walked, you know, I imagine that she came up to him and was like, they were just sitting there in poison, and she's like, hey, I just got to ask you a question. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, She's just throwing, she's just throwing puns out there, and she's just like, come on, hurry up, chop, chop. Mm. Uh, wow. <laughs> <laughs> No, okay, so at first I thought she was like, you know, like cool. She's a she's she's a mom fighting for her family, blah blah yeah. blah. But reading her quote is like she doesn't care. <laughs> oh no. She get she gets brutal real fast. Like yeah, real like, real fast. Like she doesn't even feel bad about it. You know, cuz I I thought she would be like, "Oh, I have to do this to save my to save my family." But I feel bad about it. No, she does not feel bad about it. She is the idealization of what all mothers brag about. And that is not <laughs> yes. a that is not a knock against mothers. I want to make that very clear. Uh I I live under Tupac rules. Mothers are everything. All right. So but but I will say mothers will be the first ones to tell you. I don't give a fuck. I'll do anything for my family. That's what a mother does. And that's what, you know, going to the grave, keeping alive, doesn't matter. That's what you, you, you cherish, you idolize about your mom because you're like, damn, that woman will do fucking anything. <laughs> she don't give a fuck. She will protect mm -hmm. us. You know, and that's what we, we, we need growing up. That's what we cherish. But um, Leonardo? She went too far. <laughs> She had, 
I'm not going to say she went too far. Well, okay. I will say she went too far. But I, I, I'm going to say that the situation allowed her to go too far. Really, isn't all that society is is a, a set of scenarios that allow mothers to not go too far? That's all society really <laughs> is. If you think about it, we just want mothers to stay in line and allow for people to not be eaten in tea cakes and delivered to neighbors in soap. <laughs> because mothers will fucking do that. And I can't think of a single mother that gives a fuck about her kids that wouldn't do the same damn thing. Which is horrifying. Moms are the scariest thing on the planet. I don't care if you're still getting your ass spanked, if your parents are against spanking or not. Doesn't matter. Mothers. Whoo. I'm just saying, mothers can put skinwalkers in line. That's all I'm going to say. That's all I'm going to say. That's it. I, I just want to say, too, it's kind of funny that the different quotes between men and women. It's like, mothers, they're like, they're, we're going to kill for, we'll kill for our child. But fathers are like, I brought you into this world. I'm going to take you out. So it's like the parent, the mother's trying to save the child, and the father's like, I'm going to kill you too. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, mothers if you think just about like... it in the Bible, uh, what's his name? I forgot his name. But like, yeah, you know, I mean, the whole Bible, they're always talking about <laughs> killing each other for something, you know? So I guess like mm-hmm. people back in the day, this was normal to them, I guess. This isn't that far connected from our time in history. But this yeah. is like <laughs> this is like the 1900s. So this is about 1929 or 1940. Well, we didn't get yeah. yeah, normal. This is this is until this is the like 1940s. This is yeah, 80 right. years old. Yeah, because Giuseppe went off to World War II, so this is yeah 1940s definitely. Yeah, but like, like, uh, like society didn't get sort of uh, normal or kind of like put a break on things until the early 2000s. Like even in the 80s and the 90s, we were doing crazy stuff. We're still doing crazy stuff. Well, I mean, that's that's history. But I will say, (laughs) Betsabe, your dad has living memories. Some shit. (laughs) Your dad has living memories of this time period. I'm confident. I know. In that. I was just talking to him about Your it. Your mom, I was like, Dad, you were born in 1930. You've been through every mm-hmm. historical thing. <laughs> do you do you remember shit from when you're 10? Me? Yeah, prob- probably. Right. Like a lot, of, a lot <laughs> um, of folks remember no. shit from when they're 10. You know. I mean, just like the the normal stuff, like. Yeah. When I hit yeah. my 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 leg and I saw my bone, you know? Yeah, those kind of things, but like a world war. <laughs> um <laughs> but but we well, should talk about that. Too, That's when legit. we were about 12. Oh yeah, I, like yeah. 9/11. I was I major that. things. Yeah, major I was things. 11 on 9/11. I remember that. And I guarantee you, if I somehow magically live because Castro's formula for lung cancer gets passed up to north america if i somehow magically live to be 90 um 90 years from now or 80 years 30 years whatever um i will remember when i was 11 years old 100 percent, because of 9 11 just like you know at this point in time like your parents betsabe uh joey like me gilbert like my parents all of our parents were alive when giuseppe 
was going off to fight in World War II. When, mm-hmm. when, uh, um, you know, when Leonardo was um, making these decisions. So if we're going to be like, yeah, well, back in the day and da-da-da-da-da, it's like, yeah, to some extent, but, like, honestly, we're not super far off. Like, it, it was a major transition, you know? It wasn't the yeah. the 1600s, the 1500s, the 1400s, where having 17 kids was normal. It's like, no, it was kind of starting to mellow out. <laughs> you know? It was like five kids was a lot, you know? Like, I, I don't know. Well, That's also, how I take it. We're, we're, also, we're also taking it, too, as, like, this is like a major city, you know, and yeah. thinking about that, like they're all in small Ital- Italian towns that were still using horses, you know, and like the United States, it got, it grew up very, very quickly from like 1900 to 1920, you know, once cars were invented, they pretty much like started occupying everything. But as you can see from the way that like Germany was in World War Two at the beginning, they were still using horses um and at the end of world war one still using horses and stuff like that so italy was very similar that they didn't have all the major technologies yet they were they were kind of just getting into it so i feel like a lot of it was still especially in the small towns was like very behind yeah truth 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 now that the soap was usable she ordered giuseppe to undress when he refused she took his clothes off for him she washed him head to toe with the soap made of her best friend's fat. When the bath was over, she wrapped him up in a towel and sent him into the kitchen to eat the new tea cakes made from her best friend's blood. Okay, that she's definitely not right in the head. <laughs> she thought she could live her life with ease now that her son would be protected from the war. But she did not account for the fact that Virginia would have people looking for her. I mean, duh, what was she expecting? She was like a celebrity. Okay, so, so yeah, like she, the first two victims, um, we had a elderly lady who was kind of like, kind of, um, she was a spinstress, a, a spinstress, right? Like she, she was kind of like up there in age. Society judged her. All these fun, heavy things, and um, nobody really noticed when she was gone, or at least people might have noticed, but they didn't care, right? Like, like there was no like step two, step three. It was just like, what happened to her? I don't know. Anyway, so about the weather. You know, like that, that was kind of how the conversation went. And with the, with the second woman who was a little bit younger, um, she was a teacher, but she was a widower. Her family was kind of like locked in the, it's very sad to say, but her bloodline was kind of like ending in that direction. And again, it kind of created or it allowed for a situation where not a lot of follow up took place, right? But mm-hmm. with this last victim, uh, she was a celebrity. People knew her. People knew who she was. And and I think what this shows in terms of progression for a serial killer, and specifically for Leonardo, like, it's like she valued her son so much. He was so important to her after, like, 
I don't know, um, 12 miscarriages and like five babies dying, <laughs> you know, like all of this, this terrible tragedy befalling her that like, um, she valued her son so much. She's like, who can be the equivalency of Giuseppe? It's like, obviously the biggest celebrity in town. That's the only person that could come close to being of the same importance on a on an astrological sense, on a on a grand karmic sense as Giuseppe. It's it's the biggest celebrity in town. Um and so her her sights got her sights got too big for her britches. And she mm-hmm. went after this this uh famous former opera singer and tricked her in and roped her in with the same story. Hey got you this really cool job you know i know everybody don't even worry about it also just in case i know you're going to be on the road you're going to be settling in hey i got you this great job i need you to write me a series of letters that say this 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 and this and what we're going to do because we love you because we're best friends we're going to make sure that these letters get mailed out in in a series of dates in a in a sequence that your family will be cool with you. And what that's going to allow for you to do is to just chill, settle into your new job, take a month, two months to yourself, um, figure things out in life, and then you'll catch up with these letters. But in the meantime, dude, I'm such a good friend. We're going to keep the letters flowing to all your family that needs to hear from you. Right? So like, it, it was such a nuts, like, like solid con for the time where you're just like, damn, you're really doing me a salad right now, right? You know? And finally, third victim, you know, uh, it, it shit started to catch up. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, um, her sister-in-law named Albertina Fanti flew in like a bat out of hell. She stormed Leonardo's house for answers. When Leonardo feigned ignorance, it was not enough to get her to turn away. She asked around town and became aware of two other missing women who had last been seen at Leonardo's house early in the morning. And strangely enough, letters were sent out for them all at the same time, and stranger still by Giuseppe. Once her son became a suspect, she started talking really quick. They didn't believe her at first, but she showed them everything. The soap, the cakes, the sludge that came from her friends and confidants. But she was once again arrested. She was disowned by her son. She did well in prison. She even became popular, of course. She would go down in history as the soap maker of Correggio, one of Italy's most infamous serial killers. Thanks for listening to the Black Cat Report and our episode on the soap maker of Correggio, Leonardo Ciniculli. We enjoy bringing you interesting and crazy stories from all corners of the world. Our lead researchers, Gil and Selena, as well as awesome hosts, do a heck of a lot of work bringing this all to you, so remember to like, review, and subscribe on wherever you get your podcasts. Can't wait to be back with you next week for another exciting and unhinged tale. And as always, we'll see you on the other side. Ciao.